Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Well, I'm going to start this morning by just talking a little bit about, uh, some of you know that my, my dad passed away about, it'll be 12 years ago, I think, um, coming up here. Um, seems like can't be that long ago, but it really was. And I had a great dad. And, and um, whenever I try to recall some of the earliest memories that I have of my dad and the relationship that I had with him, I, I always seem to remember how he was such an amazing motivational speaker. Because whenever he spoke and told me to do something, I was always very motivated to do it. <laughs> and some of you know exactly what I mean. There was no choice for me. I either did what he said or I reaped the benefits of being disobedient. How many grew up that way? That wasn't a bad thing, was it? It's a good thing. And one of the things he encouraged my siblings and I to do was to get jobs at early ages. I I found myself working for the neighbor farmer and his son, both who lived on separate farms, just a, a little less than a mile away from where I grew up. And I was pretty young. I was probably 11 years old when when I started that job, but this father and son who who I worked for, they farmed together, but were very different in the way they treated me. The one treated me very well, and the other treated me pretty poorly, actually. And one was always teaching me new things and giving me grace when I made a mistake. The, The other was verbally demeaning and even physically intimidating when he screamed profanities at me. I complained to my dad one time about this, thinking that he probably uh, being the dad he was and the motivational speaker he was to us, that he will have a talk with that neighbor farmer and, and have a few words with him for mistreating his son. But my dad didn't do that. Instead, he affirmed me in that, I, in that my thinking was right in thinking that, that I was being mistreated. He affirmed that. I, I thought I was being mistreated and untreated unfairly and even unjustly, and he affirmed that. But he said, if I, if you, son, could let it roll off your back like water off a duck's back, you could still learn from this guy. Even if that meant learning what not to do and how not to treat people. And I want to be clear this morning, nobody should ever have to endure being mistreated. I'm not condoning anyone being treated in an unjust way, but something happened to me as I learned to take a little bit of verbal tongue lashing from this guy. Any thin skin that I did have became a little thicker and a little tougher skin. I had no idea, and neither did my dad, that I would be in full-time ministry later in life. And if there's one thing you need in full-time ministry, it's, it's tough skin. Bob, is that true? My dad's name was Bob. (laughs) Bob's a pastor, and I I love that he's here today. Got to have some thick skin. And you most certainly need a soft heart in ministry, but a thick, tough skin to go with it. And and I I just got to tell you, that actually that's proved to be pretty valuable to me on several occasions. Our our culture is so hyper-focused on justice. I want you to really hear what I'm saying today, church. Someone wronged me, so I need justice. And again, I'm not saying that anyone should be wronging others, but let me tell you a little secret. There will be no real justice as long as man is in charge of this world. 
When Jesus sits on the throne of this earth and rules, just, justice will be executed perfectly. But until then, good luck. You might as well just turn the other cheek and move on. You may get some glimpses of it here and there, but you can't live in a place where you're trying to keep account of every wrong and injustice that's ever been done to you. And let me affirm that you are right in saying that you were mistreated. You probably were mistreated. Your anger is probably warranted. But forever living in the hurt and the injustice of it will never give you that full abundant life that God desires for you. And those are tough words. I, I know. I get it. I've been there. I've done that. And I think it's important that we understand this as we jump into the next part of this series in Ephesians, which I'm call, calling Unity in the Workplace. As a precursor to the scripture we're covering today, I need to say this. In biblical times, the word slave, everybody turn to your neighbor and say slave. It gave a different mental picture to the people than it generally does for people now. Slaves were often those who voluntarily placed themselves under a master whom they owed a debt to or a person of wealth that they trusted and even admired in order to make a living and just survive. How we think of indentured servants or bond servants would be more accurate, a more accurate mental picture. When we hear the word slaves, we often think of the brutal taskmasters from our own American history, don't we? Those that owned, bought, and sold people, and, and how horrible and horrific that is. And if, if you've seen the movie, The Sound of Freedom, anybody seen that movie? I highly recommend it. If you haven't seen it, go to it. It is amazing, it is awesome. It is so important that you see what's going on in our world right now. But if you've seen that movie, you know the mistreatment of people has continued. Sex trafficking and slavery has never been more prolific in America as it is right now. Slavery, the way we think of it, we don't buy and sell people to work the farms, but people are being bought and sold every day in, for sex. Kids, that's slavery, folks. That's slavery, and that's kind of what we think of. But in, in Ephesians 5, 5 through 9, um, it says this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. And let me just say this. This would be a great scripture to skip over for a pastor because these are hard things to preach, right? Slaves, obey your masters. It seems like Paul is endorsing slavery, but I'm going to tell you today he's not endorsing the kind of slavery that we think about at all. Again, when the Bible uses a word like this, um, it, it, it's, it's not the same mental picture that, he had, that the original readers had that we have today because of all the history that's gone on between. So you've got to dig deep. You've got to go back to the original Greek words. You've got to look at what he's saying. Paul is not condoning the slavery that I just mentioned, sex slavery, or even the history of slavery within our country. He's speaking in reference to slaves as the equivalent, again, of bond servants or those that voluntarily or, or involuntarily place themselves under someone in order to pay a debt. See, slavery in biblical times was often very temporary. And it was because someone maybe got in a jam. And sometimes, if, how many know you, how many have ever been in a financial jam? So someone would get in a financial jam, they couldn't pay it off, so they would, they would give themselves to someone they trusted, someone they, they, they uh, even admired, somebody who was wealthy. They said, I will work for you, I'll do everything for you, I will be your slave, your servant, 
until I can get my debt paid off. And sometimes people didn't even have debt. They just did it to move up in their economic status in biblical times, to change the, 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 their futures. So they entered into slavery just so that they wouldn't have to stay in, in a place of, of poverty. And we, we can't imagine that today when we think of slavery. We're, we're so inundated with what that means, but this means a little something different than that. And of course there were slaves in biblical times in reference to how they are today, but this isn't what Paul was referring to. In modern day terms, I believe this looks, the kind of slavery Paul's talking about, looks a lot like employees obeying their employers. So they will be treated well and secure their positions of employment. And the word obey is used here, and last week it was used in reference to children obeying their parents, right? And you remember that the original word in the Greek is hupakuo. Everybody say hupakuo, which means do what I say, obey. It means obey. So slaves or servants, as many of the modern versions say, they, they use the word servants instead of slaves, are to obey their overseers, those that are in authority over them, like their boss. They're to obey them. Talking about my dad again, one of the things that he taught me was that if you show up 15 minutes early, and if you're able and willing to stay a little later and get things done, even if you don't you know, clock in or if you clock out those extra minutes, then you'll never ever have need for employment. Your boss will love you and you will always have, you know, you'll secure your position. And doing this may not work in this day and time as well as it did back then, but the principle was right. Look at what Paul says next, Ephesians 6, 6 through 7. It says, try to please, he's talking about your overseers, slaves obeying their masters. He says, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. We're to work as unto the Lord all the time. Not just when our managers or bosses are watching. We are slaves to Christ first. Somebody say amen. amen. Servants of him and working hard for those that employ you is doing the will of God. Well, I work really hard, Pastor Barry, when the boss is there, but when he walks around the corner, boy, do we have fun. I spend a lot of time in the bathroom at work. I heard that that's a new trend, right? They go to the, people go to the bathroom, they spend a half hour because they have issues in the bathroom. You can't question that, right, as an employer? Hey, why are we in the bathroom so long? Um, it's private. But I'm in there for a half hour playing on my phone, I mean, that's why I'm doing this. Popping bubbles, saving pandas. <laughs> I mean, I'm on Wordle, right? I'm in the bathroom at work on Wordle. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna win the game, whatever the game is. That's stealing. That's not obeying your master. That's not following what your boss would want. The word of God says you should do everything you can to try your hardest, to do your best, please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. That's the will of God. These three verses, five, six, and seven, I mean, you can, you can sit on them and, and think about them and meditate on them. I'm telling you, they will go deep down into your heart. We're great justifiers, aren't we? Am I talking to anybody today? You look like a calf staring at a new gate. 
Now you're going to go home and say, Barry called us, Pastor Barry called us cows. No. <laughs> Not what I said. <laughs> Not what I said. But these verses, they dig down deep if we let them. What is the motive of your heart? Do you try to do as little as you can at work, just enough to get by and keep your job? Or do you do your best, trying to work for the success of those that employ you? Well, that guy, he doesn't give me enough money. He's building his wealth on my back, my sweat and blood. Well, why don't you do that? Why don't you hire somebody like you? Well, I wouldn't want to hire somebody like me. That's the point. What's your attitude at work? They owe me because I work for them? Or is it I owe them because they give me a job? I want to think about that. You may have noticed that the scripture doesn't say, if the boss treats you fairly, then you should try and please them with your enthusiastic work. And what if you're being completely mistreated? Well, keep working as unto the Lord until you find different employment, but give it your best until the end. Well, that doesn't seem fair to me. What's fair? It ain't fair that Jesus had to bear your sins on the cross. And you've accepted that. I mean, I'm just being real with you today. Of course, you shouldn't stay in a place where you're being abused, but work as if you're working for the Lord until you find something else. You may say, well, that, that again, that's not fair, which, which I'm going to say again, you're, you're right, it's not fair, it's it, but whining and complaining and demanding, it isn't going to get you anywhere. There's an element of faith here. We, we work as unto the Lord because we know that God sees our hearts. He knows what we are going through and how we are handling it. He knows the attitudes of our most inner being. And as we maintain that godly attitude in the midst of trials, even at work, Paul says in Ephesians 6, 8, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us, for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Let me say it again. Justice is going to be delivered. You will be vindicated, but let God do that. Let him work things out on his time. Don't try to do it out. Don't try to get it done in your time. And some of you might be feeling like I'm stepping on your toes because work is a horrible place, and I don't, I don't think anybody should have to go there and be treated like that. I agree with you, but give it your all until you find something else. Give it your best until you find something else. God will honor that. You know, something that happened to me going back to the farm as I was working. The one farmer uh, who was good to work for, he was the one that handled my paycheck. And he asked me one day, he goes, hey, how is uh, that other guy my relative, I'm not going to tell you which one is which, but how's my relative treating you? And he said, I said, well, not very well, I guess. And he said, he's swearing at you? And I said, yeah. Is he calling you names? Yeah. Is he, you know, is he, I mean, he's a big, big guy, and I'm a little 11-year-old shaver, you know, and he's screaming every profanity a foot from my face, right? He was wrong, no doubt about it. He said, well, that farmer who pays me, he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'll have a talk with him. 
um, but I'm going to give you extra money because you had to do it. You had to deal with that. And uh, he goes, I want you to tell me from here on out every time he mistreats you, and I'll make sure you get extra money. He'll charge his own family member when I work for them, but he'll charge him more hours than when I work just so I could have more money. And that, that's between them, right? I'm just, I'm just the worker. But, you know, every time then after that, it seemed like when I get hollered at or, or mistreated, I was like, ka-ching, ka-ching, <laughs> ka-ching. I mean, there's something to that, right? God had my back the whole time. It wasn't right the way he was treating me. I'm not condoning that. I'm just saying, put a big smile on your face, live for Jesus, and watch him work it out for you. Watch him work it out for you. Employees, obey your employers. Do everything you can for their success. Romans 8.28 says, and you know that those that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Man, the church quotes this verse all the time, but we don't live like we believe it. Do you really believe that God is working all things together for good for, for, for people like you who love him? If you really believe that, then stop getting in his way and trying to work it out for yourself. Truth? Please, don't put words in my mouth today. If you're not happy with your employment, if you feel you're being marginalized or mis mistreated, find a new job. But don't act in a way towards your current employer that is not in line with who you are as a blood-bought child of Christ. Don't whine, complain, gossip, or try to destroy your employer's reputation or business. If your goal is to destroy that person or organization or business, then you have to ask yourself, who are you aligning yourself with? Because it's the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't care how you're being mistreated. You can either find a new job or, or take it and see what God does. Only you and God can figure that one out. But Jesus, if you're gonna align yourself with him, he came to give life and life to the fullest. So if you find yourself in the midst of trying circumstances at work for whatever reason, choose to be someone who brings life to that environment. Don't work to destroy or, or, uh, or, or some, get, try to achieve some kind of uh, misguided justice because you're not going to get there. That's not your place. You are, not, you are to be a light and a source of life, not a harbinger of death and all things negative. How many know work is never fun? Nobody knows that? Raise your hand if you think work is no fun. How many think work is awesome? I love work. It's a blast. Okay, some of you have great jobs. Great. But if work was supposed to be a party, if it was supposed to be entertaining, if it was supposed to be a wonderful time for you all the time, they would call it something different than work. Right? I mean, I go to a party to have fun. I go to work to work. I mean, somebody back me up here, amen? Isn't that what we do? Man, this isn't a popular message at all. <laughs> Hear me, church, there are far too many Christians working on job sites and in offices and all sorts of employment positions in the marketplace that don't live according to the principles that Paul lays out here. They just flat out don't do it. They're too busy calling for justice for their situation. Work as if you are working for Jesus himself. That's what Paul said. God will bless you for it. 
If not at the current place of employment, have faith that a door will open as you continue to be a light and you will move up and you will move on and you will be blessed in your going. I mean, one of the greatest examples of this in the Bible is Joseph, right? He was unjustly sold uh, into actual slavery, but he worked hard for his master and he was promoted. Then he was falsely accused while working. I mean, the boss's wife claimed that he tried to take advantage of her, right? When actually she tried to take advantage of him. And when she started, the, the temptress started trying to pull him in and get him into bed. What did he do? He said, I'm out of here, man. I'm running. And she grabbed his cloak and had it. And this Potiphar's wife, she was a evil woman, right? That song. <laughs> She's trying to get her claws into him. But then she screamed, like, he tried to take advantage of me. And so he was thrown into prison. That was unjust. But he still did what was honorable and right. He served those that were over him. It eventually won him his freedom, and he was promoted to second in command of all of Egypt. Quit trying to justify why you aren't giving your best at work. Quit trying to scream for justice for the way you're being mistreated. Just work as unto the Lord and watch how God will open up the doors for you to be blessed. If he can part the Red Sea and let his people cross it on dry ground, he can certainly make a way when there seems to be no way, even if your boss is a jerk. Not all of you get to work for a boss like Pastor Donnie does. <laughs> Why are you laughing? That was, that was hurtful. <laughs> Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, right? <laughs> when you're perfect in every way. <laughs> Slaves, servants, employees, obey those masters, those overseers, those employers. God's got your back. Justice is coming, but it's really, it's his to work out, not yours. You might learn a whole bunch in that process. Then Paul switches gears a bit. He turns it back on those that are masters, or we should think of it more as overseers or employers. And he says this in Ephesians 6, 9, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So if you are over employees because you are the employer, or even if you are middle management of employees, don't mistreat those that work for you. You're to treat them with respect. They are not substandard citizens or people because they are not owners or managers like you. You've been blessed by God to the position that you're in. God gave you that position. I don't think there's anything, any such thing as a self-made man, a self-made person. I think we all need God. I think God does that for us, and he blesses who he blesses, and he promotes who he promotes, and there's reasons for that that he knows that we might never know until we're all up in heaven. You have been blessed by God to be in the position you are in, whether that's financially or, or a position, a title. And this should result, this should not result in you lording over them, those employees or those people that are, are subservient to you. It shouldn't result in you lording over them or verbally abusing them or even intimidating them in any way. Don't threaten them, as the scripture says. 
If you are personally calling your employees' names or are embarrassing them in front of other employees, you are mistreating people, and I get it. You want people to care as much about your business or organization as you do, but they probably never will. Get over it. And they certainly won't if you are constantly making the work environment a hostile place. Paul says, and he's talking to Christians living in Ephesus and to all believers in general, he says, God doesn't have favorites. So just because you think you're the most important person in the room doesn't mean you are. Just because of your title, just because of what you own, just because you are the employer doesn't mean that you're the most important person in the room. Don't fill yourself with pride or think of yourself more highly than you ought to because the tables can always turn. The brothers that sold Joseph into slavery later bowed down to him out of respect and even fear. Think about that. What a turnaround. Did that, did that happen overnight? No, it took a lot of years, but it happened. And this, of course, doesn't mean that you won't from time to time as an employer have to make difficult decisions and terminate the employment of some, some of your employees. You're going to have to do that. This, this should be done carefully, though, and, and it should be done prayerfully and, and with a right heart. You can't control the actions of others, but you can, you can stay in control of your own. Be fair, be honest, be a giver, be an encouragement to your employees, communicate with them your expectations, speak into their lives, but don't mistreat them even when they make mistakes or cost you money. I mean, there's a lot of business owners in here I know. How many, how many can say that there's, that there's been times when the employee over something they should have known better, right? They costed you money. So just raise your hand and say, yeah, yep, that happened. It cost me a lot of money. It happens all the time. I get that. You can correct without mistreating. You are to be worthy of your position of authority. And that starts with not holding that authority over their heads. I'm going to just be real... Um, blunt. Is that okay? <laughs> like I care, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> if you're an employer and you're finding it hard to find good employees, and I get that, it's hard to find good help today, probably more than it's ever been. But maybe the problem is with you as an employer. Maybe you need to rethink how you treat your employees. Maybe not, but it's a thought. And I want you to see the unity message here. We've been talking about unity through Ephesians. Ephesians is such a rich book of how to live lessons, how to live lessons, right? And as we've been studying it over the last months, I, we've, we've covered how we are to maintain our personal unity with Christ, living in a way that is in line with who he is. Does our life line up with his nature, his character, and his word? The challenge is we are in Christ. That phrase occurs 36 times in the book of Ephesians, in Christ. And that's what it's referring to. Being in Christ is being unified with him, being one with him, to have the branch of your life plugged into the true vine of Jesus Christ. And then Paul challenges us with striving for unity in the church, and we spent weeks in that. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 was one of the standout verses of that, that, those weeks and, and that, that uh, type of unity in, the, unity in the body. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We even talked about how 
Christ has given the five-fold ministry gifts to the church and how he will continue to give his church these gifts for the purpose of equipping and for building one another up until all of his church matures and attains the unity of the faith. There's unity woven all throughout this wonderful book, these six chapters in Ephesians. Unity with Christ personally. Unity with Christ in the church. And then we got into chapter five and Paul seems to turn the subject matter to unity in the family. The relationships between husbands and wives and children and parents. Unity all the way through. And now we just covered work relationships between employers and employees. When both parties act in accordance with the scripture, when employees do their best and employers treat uh, like, they, like, like they should, guess what happens in the workplace? Unity can happen. It can be achieved. And remember, unity comes through agreement. Uniformity comes through sameness. True unity is when diverse people choose to agree. When different people choose to agree. And I'm not talking about watering down the truth, right? This, is, this letter is to the church, and we, we never water down the truth to the point where sin isn't sin, right? Sin is always sin. Hear what I'm saying. But uniformity endeavors to force one party into being exactly the same as themselves. Unity requires robust conversation and willingness to see things in a different light. It strives to understand others to, uh, to arrive at a place of agreement. Unity takes work. Whether you're talking about your personal unity with Jesus, you're talking about unity in the body of Christ, you're talking about unity in the family, or you're talking about unity in the workplace. It takes effort and work. It just does. Uniformity is more bullyish. It just comes in and says, everybody needs to be like me, and if not, you're out of here. That's uniformity. In political realms, we call that communism. Godly unity never compromises the word of God. I've already said that, but I'll say it again. It strives to understand it more clearly so that those who come underneath the authority of God's word can be one in purpose and in mission. And I've often quoted Psalm 133 in this series, how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the oil being poured over Aaron's head, which is a picture of the anointing. It's like the dew uh, of Hermon, right? Which is a picture of wonderful fruit. That's the soil that they grew at, grow, or the soil that's there and the crops they grow at the, mount, at the base of Mount Hermon because the dew falls on it every single day like a thick rain. It's, it's incredible crops. So there's the anointing and there's fruit. And I, I've preached on this many times. You know I, I talk about this a lot, but it's so important. If we want the anointing and we want fruit, it's unity that brings those things. It takes work to have that kind of unity whether you're talking about the workplace, your family, the church, or your own walk with God. It takes work, effort, time, commitment. But the anointing and the fruit that comes with it. In fact, the end of Psalm 133 says, that's the place where the Lord commands his blessing. Now, I don't know, you, you, you can just kind of be walking through this life and because you're a follower of Jesus, blessings just kind of hit you now and then. You're like, woo, yeah, blessing, woo, blessing, woo, blessing. But is there a special place where God says, bless that, bless that congregation, bless that business, bless that workplace, bless that family, bless that church, bless that person in their relationship with me? I think there is. He commands the blessing when we walk together in unity, 
in oneness. We're going to take a break from Ephesians next week. We're going to celebrate a bunch of baptisms, which I am so excited about. It's baptism service Sunday next week, and it's going to be good. It's going to be fun. There's some awesome testimonies that, are going to come, that you're going to get to hear. And then we're going to jump back into the series for three more weeks and then bring it to a close. Yep, if you're adding, it's 25 weeks total. It's almost half a year in six chapters. I understand. How many are, are just really glad we're going to finally be done with this unity thing? You don't know how to answer, do you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, most of what I'm hearing is, man, this has been so good. This has been so good. Some of you are probably sick of the logo or the, or the graphic that we made for it. It's been up there a long time. I'm telling you, unity is key. Especially as we move so fast towards the end of this age. The church is going to have to be unified like never before. Because every wind of doctrine, false teachers of all kinds, false prophets, they're going to be on the prowl. The Lord says that in his word. We got to be unified. We got to know who we are in Christ. We got to know who we are as a body of Christ. We got to be one. One of the last times Jesus prayed, he said, Father, make them one even as you and I are one. This is a prayer that hasn't been fully answered yet. The church as a whole, the body of Christ, doesn't seem to be walking in a whole lot of unity. But we're going to walk in unity here in this local congregation. We're going to fight for it. We're going to put forth the effort to do it. Not just as a body of believers, but in our homes, in our businesses, it all starts with unity, our personal unity with Christ, as we've gone over many times. If you're here today and your desire is to line up your life with the very person of Jesus Christ, if you, if you want to lay down your right to be right and walk in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ, in the, in the body of Christ, if your desire is to strive for your home and, and, and the relationships within your home to be the best they can be because of the unity based on agreement and understanding, if you are an employee or an employer and you haven't been contributing to the unity of the workplace and you want to change that, it, it's a prayer away. It's a decision away. Somebody said one time, how long does it take to change? So I said, well, it takes a long time to change, right? No, it really takes that long. It takes a decision. Working out the change takes a long time, but the change is a decision. It's a decision. That's why we talk about decision-making all the time in our services. That's why we always want our sermons and, and the preaching of the Word to bring you to a place of decision. The, the place of decision I want you to be brought to today is are you willing to fight for unity in all those areas of your life? Are you willing to put forth the effort? It's hard tough, but it's the place where the Lord commands his blessing. It's worth the fight. It's worth the work. And I believe in the power of prayer. This church believes, I, at least the leadership does, and I think the congregation does too, that prayer changes everything. So if any of those things are in line with where your heart is this morning, you, you, you want to fight for that, that unity, I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.